may be seated. Excuse me, as you do so, I invite you to join me in taking your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Nehemiah this morning. We have a large section of scripture we're going to look at. We're going to look at all of chapter 11 into chapter 12, verse 26. So all of chapter 11 of Nehemiah into chapter 12, verse 26. And we're not going to read all of this. Um, we're going to do as we've done before. We're going to read certain portions that help us get a good summary and overview of the whole passage. do want to encourage you again later on to take time to read through all of this, as you will see. You turn there as we begin to read through it. It's a long list of names. Um, as, we will, as we will see together here in a few moments, they are important to God. Because they were made by God, they were made in His image, but they are also given to us in His Word. So He's given to, for, for, to us for our good. So although we will just read a little bit here and there this morning, I do want to encourage you at a later time to read through all of chapter 11 into chapter 12, verse 26. So, with that being said, let me pray for us now as we come together for God's word here in Nehemiah. So, let's pray together. Lord, as we come now before your word, may we remember these things. That this is your word. All scriptures breathed out by you has been given by you to us for our good. And the whole goal of scripture is Jesus Christ. No matter where we may land in the Bible, the focus is on Christ. So may we hear Christ this morning. May he be exalted through the Spirit's work of our understanding Christ in this passage. And may you be exalted by our obedience to Christ because by our obedience to Christ we are obeying you. So may you, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be exalted and glorified in how we read and hear and live out your word this morning. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nehemiah, beginning in chapter 11, verse 1, we will stand together now for the reading of God's word. Now the, leaders of the, uh, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who were willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And then they list for us the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, the sons of Benjamin, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the village, and the list of those who came years earlier was Erebubal and Joachim. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Think as we study the Bible, especially when we get to the Old Testament, we can understand why sometimes our preference is the New Testament. New Testament can be easier for us to understand. The way it's broken up is an easier chunks for us to read. When we get to these long lists, we find them very sporadically throughout the New Testament. But even that, sometimes we can read through them and it's okay. But we come this morning, in our study of this Old Testament book of Nehemiah, to another somewhat intimidating list of names. And maybe this is a, we have found this reason before for us to stay away from the Old Testament. Because this is a long list of names. And they're hard to pronounce. 
If you go through these names, you're going to realize about 99% of them you never hear of anymore. They're hard to pronounce. There's just a lot of them. It can lead to some tough reading. But as we've said before, as we've encountered similar passages, and we want to remind ourselves this morning, Nehemiah 11 through Nehemiah 12, verse 26, is God's word. And when Paul wrote to Timothy, and he said, all scripture is breathed out by God, in that all scripture is this list of names, is Nehemiah 11, verses, uh, all of chapter 11 through chapter 12, verse 26. Which means God has this list here for his perfect and design, perfect and divine reason. It's a godly and good list. So it would be disadvantageous for us as Christians to just skip over this and say, it's just a list of names. There's nothing really good to it. There's nothing spiritually profitable here for us. When we approach a passage like this, we have to remind ourselves that God has given us his word. He has given us this list here, and we trust this for our present good. When we have a right understanding of it, it helps us in the here and now, but it also has an eternal good to it. Such as the people we read in this list are people we will meet in heaven. But maybe another help for us is to remember the context of this list, the context of this book and story. We are right in the middle of Nehemiah's narrative on the covenant renewal that's taking place. The covenant community is being brought out of exile. They're back in Jerusalem. They're going through covenant renewal. And in the list of Nehemiah exalting in this, wanting to tell us, look, this is what we did. Here's how, here's how we worshiped. And here's how the joy of the Lord is our strength. And here's how we confessed our sins. And not only that, here's all the people who were involved with it. Nehemiah is so excited about this in the sense that he wants you to know about everybody who's there. We've all been in that situation, right, where we've been in this really, really wonderful situation, and we go and we tell our people about it, like, man, I was at this great dinner last night, uh, and, and this great group of people, and, and, and so-and-so was there, and so-and-so was there, and we're so excited about it, we want everybody to know about them. So Nehemiah isn't dutifully going through this, he's saying, listen, God is at work, he's at work in his people, he's, he's providing renewal, and here's all the people who are listed. Here's all the people who are involved with it. The difference is where you and I may name five or six people, he's naming like 500 people. But in this list are names that in some way or another are familiar to us already. We've talked about the group of people who, who have gathered, uh, the covenant community who, who gathered to help rebuild and restore the wall. This is them. And we've talked about some of those who, who had to grab swords and horns to, uh, to or trumpets to, 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 to guard and to, and to give awareness uh, to God's people uh, against the enemies who may be coming. This is some of them. And we read about that great worship service where they all gathered and Ezra and, and others are gathered up on a special pulpit. But there are other priests who are walking around the crowd helping give explanation and understanding to it. This is them too. They're listed here. 
So this list reminds us that these are real people. We've been reading about these people. And that are listed for us. So these are real people who God is really at work in and really at work through. So even though this story took place thousands of years ago in a land far, far away, sound like Star Wars, right? A long, long time ago in a long place far, far away. But don't talk about a place, you know, a story took so long ago, someplace so far away. We're reminded these are real people. This is our spiritual family. And this is their story of how God so graciously called them out of exile. And in calling them out of exile, they realized how miserable they were in their sins. Their need of God. So they turn to God and turn to the newness of love and obedience and they find that God has been there waiting for them like we see in the story of the prodigal son. He's the father who has been waiting there for his people to return to him. So this list isn't some dry list of people. It reminds us that covenant renewal isn't an abstract, theological, dusty, Old Testament thing. It's about a real God who's committed to real people. And real people who are committing themselves because they've begun to realize that God is a real God. It may also be helpful for us to remember that this list is our family tree. Before I kind of mention that. These names listed here are our spiritual ancestors. These are your spiritual cousins and aunts and uncles. My great aunt Donna's passed away a little bit over a week ago. She's uh, the wife of my uncle who my dad's sister married, if you want all that sort of connection. But what happens when you go to a family member's funeral? You see aunts and uncles and you see cousins and you get to catch up with each other. And we had that in part this past Monday as Maggie and I were able to go up there for the funeral. These are our spiritual cousins and aunts and uncles. And this is their story. And what we're reading in their story is about how God was so faithfully at work in and through them. And it's an encouraging story, isn't it? That God is so faithful to be at work in his people. He's always at work in his people. But it's an encouragement to us that that same list of people could be us as well. That God can and still does work in his people in the same way. He still convicts us. He still renews us. He can and will do the same for us. So this list reminds us that covenant renewal was very much a reality and possibility for his covenant people then, and it's still very much a reality and possibility for us as his covenant people even now. But I think something else we, we, we see in this list is the importance of good covenantal leadership. Now that's been very much a theme we find throughout the book of Nehemiah. I tried to plan my sermon series some ways out so I have some idea of where I'm going. And so part of the process is that I prayerfully consider it, pray over it, and then once I've decided on it, believe it will be led in that direction, I go out and I try to buy about four or five commentaries to help me think through this book and to, and to hopefully help me preach it in a halfway decent way for y'all. And so I did the same process for Nehemiah. One of the commentaries I got 
was written by James Montgomery Boyce. We've talked about him before. A very solid, reformed pastor and theologian. He pastored the 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for a number of years before he passed away uh, in the early 2000s, I believe it was. But his commentary on Nehemiah really focused a lot on the leadership characteristics that we find that you and I as Christians can learn from in Nehemiah. These good covenantal leadership characteristics. And we've touched on some of those as we've gone through it, such as devotion to prayer. Right? Nehemiah was devoted to prayer, and that's good. But he's also devoted to long-term prayer. Right? There wasn't a bad situation that came up, <clears throat> and he kind of just offered this quick prayer, and he just moved on. He's devoted to long-term prayer. But he's also had wise planning. He led faithful execution of this plan. And then we see go further of being devote, a devotion to worship in God's word. So we've seen these leadership characteristics throughout. And our list this morning highlights for us all the good leaders <coughs> excuse me, that God has provided for the covenant community as they now repopulate Jerusalem. It wasn't just Nehemiah. We see in this list that God has blessed his people with a number of good leaders. And it's taken place now as they repopulate Jerusalem. Because if you remember, part of the story is that there wasn't much place for the people to live in Jerusalem. It was in such disrepair. So they were having to live outside the city. The only people really living in the city were, were the leaders, chief men of the nation, and temple personnel. But now that everything is together, now that the wall has been repaired, now that the city is being rebuilt... They need people to come in and live. They need this balanced community. So having just renewed the covenant, the people now decide to tithe out of their own number as a holy gift to ensure the functioning of the holy city. And you pick up on that, the, 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 how they tithe. It was one out of ten. So essentially, they tithe out of their own community to repopulate the holy city. And this reminds us that Jerusalem was no ordinary city. It was indeed God's city. The exiles had returned from, from Babylon to Jerusalem, not because of sentimental attachment to home. Many of them, if not, if not all of them, had never seen Jerusalem, much less lived in it. But what lay uppermost in God's call back to Jerusalem was redemptive concern, because God had promised to make my name dwell there. Jerusalem was no ordinary city. It was God's city. And the walls were now in place. The people of God had renewed their relationship, their covenant relationship and commitment to the Lord. And they were now identifying and establishing themselves as a godly community who are subject to God's word. But a city needs people. It needed to be repopulated. And this was done by casting lots. Now, casting lots is not familiar to us. We read the Old Testament. We see it, it is, it's there. It's not a part of our time and culture, but it's very much a part of their time and culture. It had a central place in the life of Israel when important decisions were to be made. They would cast lots. Now, the central focus on casting lots wasn't about chance, but it was about obedience to God and a firm confidence in his providence. That God had called them to cast lots, and through that, he would be at work. Now, we see this confidence, and that the estimation is about 5,000 people are being prepared to uproot and move into the city. 
So imagine that you're settled. You got your home, your your lazy boy is just right where you want it. You got your kitchen set up just as you want to. You've got your routine, you've got your friends, you set up your garden. And now you basically cast slots and they say, okay, you are to move into the city. And temptation would be, but I've got my, my lazy boy broke in just right. And look at my kitchen, it's beautiful. I've got everything I need here. My, my garden's blooming. And I know exactly how long it takes me to get from my front door to the front door to the grocery store and to church. I, I, don't, I don't want you to disrupt my life. That's exactly what I did here. Because they trusted the sovereign power of God at work in their lives. They trusted God. And therefore they would follow wherever he calls and wherever he leads. So one of the first things we see about good covenant relate or good covenant covenantal leadership is that it trusts in the sovereignty of God. It doesn't trust in the power of ourselves, the power of our abilities. It doesn't trust in the power of our of a name or in the power of money. It, it, the good covenantal leadership believes in the power of the sovereignty of God. Now. We go about this differently because we have the Holy Spirit full of measure and we have the complete canon of Scripture. So our way of discovering God's will is different from that of those uh, of the Jews in the 5th century. We now turn to God's Word and through the guidance of the Spirit, we follow what we read and what we hear preached and taught through God's Word. But it's through those means that we are called to trust in the sovereignty of God. We are called to trust that God is always at work and we are called to trust and obey him. He is always at work for the good of those who love him. So how do we trust in God's sovereignty? Well, it's just as simple as we read his word. We read his word, we pray, and we seek wise Christian counsel when needed. We don't cast lots. We study his word. To hear more about God's loving will and direct us. We are devoted to prayer in and through Christ. And we are people who will go to wise Christians to get counsel because we see how God has worked in their lives. So we are a people of his word. When we pray and we seek wise counsel, God uses these means to show us his will. And through his Holy Spirit, he points us in the right direction. We don't cast lots. We open our Bible. We don't cast lots. We pray. We don't cast lots. We go seek wise Christian counsel when we need it. And that's good leadership. Every good leader, no matter where they, where they are leading, in family, in church, in community, at work, that's good leadership. People of the word. People of prayer. People of of wise counsel. And really, that's just faithful Christian life, isn't it? We trust in God's sovereignty. And we trust enough so that we're willing to always follow Him no matter where that path may lead. As we read and obey His word, we take everything to Him in prayer and we seek the wisdom of wise Christians. That is good covenantal leadership. As we look at our passage, we see again there's a series of lists that's broken up in sections, and 
I want to quickly share these with you so as you read through it later, you'll have a better understanding of what you're reading through. But the lists go in this order. It's a list of lay families who came to live in the city, of the priests, Levites, and gatekeepers who lived elsewhere in Judah. There are more priestly families who did not live in the city, a list of villages of Judah and Benjamin, priests and Levites who had returned earlier, a list of high priests in Zerubbabel's time, priests in the days of Joachim, and more information about the Levites. That's how it's broken up, but what we find in these lists is that they name for us the leaders who are responsible for the covenant community. And think about what this list is. These are people who are called by God, called to leadership. They're named by God here. Here are your leaders. Here they are by name. And they are equipped by God. Every leadership follows that same pattern, same formula. Called by God, named by God, and equipped by God. These are the leaders of the covenant community of Jerusalem. Brought out of exile, this is who God has called, who he has named, who he has equipped. But there's something interesting at work in this list, and that there's a pattern at work. And it's a pattern of covenant life and community in which we see genuine faith embraced by successive generations. This list shows us the results of faithful covenant families. Because it's the sons of Benjamin and list them out. The sons of Soso and list them out. We remember last week, we talked about God's gracious, the covenant of grace, this is a gracious covenant, the covenant of grace, summarized by Jeremiah, says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And that covenant always included family, or always included children, meaning it was a covenant that was always meant for the family. We think of God's covenant promise to Abraham that embraces children in Genesis 17. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for everlasting, co- for everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. God made a covenant with Abraham and with Abraham's children. With his offspring. That's why Peter's words on the day of Pentecost are so significant. He says the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. We see in this list what happens when a Christian family embraces their covenantal responsibilities. And raises their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Raises their children in the church. Reads the Bible with them. Prays with them and for them. And is there to provide counsel for them. When we seek to be obedient to the Lord that way, He blesses families for generations. And some of us have been blessed that we can trace such a godly lineage in our own families. That you can say, I learned the faith at the, foot, at, the, at the knees, at the feet of my parents who learned it from their parents, who learned it from their parents, who learned it from their parents. And my family has been here at Bethel for so many years. Or my family is at this other church for so many years. Some of us have been blessed with such a godly lineage. While others of us have been plucked by God's hand from an unbelieving lion to join the family of God 
and to begin a godly life. But here's the wonderful thing. If you are a Christian, that means somewhere in your story of faith is the example of good covenantal leadership. Someone in your life was there who loved the Lord, who followed after him, who dedicated their lives to his glory and to the joy of being his. And from that faith, they read their Bibles and they prayed and they went to church every Sunday and they joined with the church in prayer meetings. They exemplified Christ by following him and living for him. And that sort of leadership affected you. Maybe it affected you in big ways. You can, you can remember you had just this kind of moment of, of, of realization. But probably more likely, it, for you, it was like making tea. Now how you take making tea? You, you, get, you, you get water and you boil it. And you pour it into a jug and then you take the tea bags and you put the tea bags in there. And what happens? The tea bags seep into the water. The longer you leave your tea bags in there once, the stronger your tea will be. But what starts as clear water eventually becomes tea over this long or longer process. And more likely, that's how good covenant leadership has worked in your life. You look back and realize over the years, from these people of God's place in your life, it seeped into your mind and heart. But God used these people in their leadership as a means of calling you to faith in him. Maybe it was someone in your family. Father, a mother, a grandmother, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle. Maybe it was someone in a church. Maybe, maybe it was a friend or a parent of a friend. Whoever it was, God used their faithful covenant leadership to affect your eternal destiny. And the people listed here have that same story. And we see they are committed to that story going forward. They have been affected by godly people in their lives. And they were now committed to carrying that mantle to do the same for others. They have stepped up. They are covenant leaders of the covenant community and they take it seriously. God has blessed them so they are dedicated to being a blessing to others. God has given them something they can't hold on to. He's given them something they have to give away. And they are committed to giving it away. And this list shows us that there's a variety of ministries that are listed here that, 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 that this is done through. You have community leaders, you have church leaders, you have pastors, you have those who were good with their hands, those who were good with administrative work. They were those who were good with teaching, but all these leaders possessed different gifts, but they all had the same goal, that God would be glorified and enjoyed forever and ever. And the same is true for us in the here and now. Our church, the church in general, there's still a need for good covenantal leadership. For each of us to love the Lord, to follow after him, to dedicate our lives to his glory and to the joy of being his. And from that faith that we are to read our Bibles, we're to pray, we're to go to church every Sunday, we're to be joined with the church in prayer. And that sort of leadership is still needed today. And I would say, argue, it's, it's very much needed to this day, on this day. But it's leadership 
that you and I are called to pursue and have. So that no matter our skill, God can use us in his church to help continue these covenant lineages when we pursue this leadership. Maybe it's teaching Sunday school. Maybe it's helping VBS, coordinating nursery, keeping nursery, helping to coordinate Wednesday night meals, helping to teach a class on Wednesday nights. Maybe it's as simple as keeping in touch with our, with our folks who aren't able to be with us. Maybe it's something as simple as just talking with the covenant children of our church. But whatever the skill may be, God can and will use it when we pursue this good covenant leadership in our lives. Because the end goal of this leadership is Jesus Christ. The end goal is that he is loved and cherished above all, that he is followed at no matter the cost, that he is pointed to at all times. How do you I know, how will you and I know who a good leader is, either it be in our family and the church or in the community? We will know a good leader because they point us to Jesus in their lives and in their teaching. As up on Clark in his past Friday and Saturday for our board meeting and in one of our sessions, we had a devotion that was led from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 8. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The summation is, is very simple here. The, the summation of what the writer of Hebrews says is, is, is that good covenantal leadership will always point to Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd yesterday, the good shepherd today, the good shepherd forever. Good leadership will always point to him. And how will we know that good leadership? By the way our leaders live and by the way they live out their faith. Why do we read our Bibles? Because it brings us closer to Jesus. Why do we pray? Because it brings us closer to Jesus. Why do we seek the counsel of wise Christians? Because we have seen Jesus in them and we want Jesus in our lives like they have Jesus in their lives. Good covenantal leadership will always lead us to Jesus. As we have talked about the past couple weeks and Cal announced for us a few weeks ago, we have needs for various ministries at our church. Now, we're not going to cast lots to see who's going to fill what role here. Rather, we've been told what the need is. We've been told the spaces that need to be filled. We've been told there's a need for good covenantal leadership in these positions. So I encourage you to continue to pray about how you can either continue to serve or come back into service, or maybe begin to serve for the first time. And I want you to think about this. More than likely, in your story, there is someone that God placed in your life because they prayed that same prayer. Somebody stood up at church and they said, we need Sunday school teachers. We need people for VBS. We need people for Wednesday nights. And that person heard that appeal. And they went home and they prayed. And the Lord directed them into that position. And in that position, they taught you. And they led you. And maybe they led you to faith. 
or maybe it led you to a greater understanding of Jesus Christ. But there is a need for good covenantal leadership that somebody filled and it has affected you for an eternity. Now let's deal with hypotheticals and we'll end with this hypothetical. Imagine that person sat in that church that Sunday and they heard that appeal. Instead of praying, they said, I've already served my time. And it's time for the younger generation to stand up and do something. I'm too busy with the rest of my life to give any time to the church. How would that have affected you? If they had never taught Sunday school. If they had never led in VBS. If they had never sought a need. Or they never pursued a need. How would that have affected you? How it would have affected me? Our passage this morning shows us the glory of covenant renewal and good covenantal leadership over God's covenant people. And I try to fit a lot of saying covenant in there. We see that glory here. May we see that same glory continue here at Bethel ARP Church in good, faithful, covenantal leadership that points all of us to Jesus. Pray with me.